and welcome to the Darkly Lit Podcast, where we will delve into some horror literature. I am your host, Kayla Berry, and um, I, guys, would you like to introduce yourselves? Who first? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you well, first. I guess, yeah, so I spoke first. Um, my name is Sade, uh, or Jesse Reyes, but everyone seems to know me as Sade. I am producer for this podcast. I also produce and host the Witching Hour podcast. That's me. Whoever wants to go next, I will volunteer uh, David. Okay, then. Uh, <laughs> hello, I am David King. I am the creator and host of the Midnight Marinara podcast, which, while on hiatus currently, will be coming back in October, and also the creator and host of the Undercooked Analysis podcast. Awesome. And, sh- <laughs> and I have a PhD in horribleness. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, that's the wrong thing. Um uh, Chelsea, you can go. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chelsea, a.k.a. Uh, C.F. Comer. Um, I like to do horror illustrations, particularly of dead bunnies and weird deer with lots of eyes. And I her- like to read things. And her gore uh, experience will be great for this podcast. That didn't <laughs> sound good. <laughs> can can you call a, a horror novel that has lots of gore a gore novel? Oh, you should. That should be a category. <laughs> oh, that's such a. Yeah, actually, I, I gotta give you props. That was a good pun. <laughs> hey, I try. You know, this is a new podcast. This is an opportunity to get my feet in, uh, making good puns instead of puns that just draw long, awkward silences. So this, this podcast is horror novels and puns. Yes. Um, yes. From here on out, it's it's all about horror novels and puns. We <laughs> declared this in the first episode. So it's like any book club, right? Yep. Uh, except it's we're only doing specifically horror. Uh, so sadly, we will not be reading um, the notebook. No notebooks. No, no notebooks. No. 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 <laughs> there will oh, be no. Man. I was no, really, really looking forward to reading, like, Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> oh, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Jane Eyre. I will oh. say, uh, it might be fun to, for anybody who likes uh, the gothic genre, might enjoy Northanger Abbey. That's the closest analogy I can make between uh, Jane Austen and horror. But <laughs> Wasn't there, like, a Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies book or something that they made a movie there was. Yeah, too? There, there was. was, and it actually wasn't half bad. Really? Yeah, the the movie, on the other hand, I I only saw bits and parts of. Mm. We I actually will... might consider that if you. I mean, if it, tex- it technically counts as horror. I mean, like it's silly fun, really. So, well, horror horror should have an element of comedy in it sometimes. I mean, the they go hand in hand a lot of the time. That is true. But I don't. I... I don't think so with the story we read, though. No, <laughs> not for uh, today's the story. <laughs> What what did we read? Can can you remind me and also the audience in this not so uh, carefully planned out segue? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we read at the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft, um, and hopefully those who are listening have read it too. Because <laughs> if you haven't, you might be confused. Also, oh. I I would make spoiler warnings, but considering the book was. Uh, written in the 30s. I think you've had a lot of time to catch up. So <laughs> so I'll begin um, by basically giving a short biography about H.P. Lovecraft. Um, this won't be always the case for every book we read or every story we read, but 
there's some stories I think you need to know who the author is or understand the author in order to understand the story. And this is a good case scenario. I mean, I don't think you need to understand Stephen King. Well, I'm actually come to think about it, it. There's some books if we read by Stephen King, we would like to know his backstory a bit. The main thing um, you need to know about Stephen King is that he's from Maine. Mm-hmm. And he won't let. Well, incredibly blackout drunk. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like if you read Cujo, that's a good bit of knowledge to have. Oh, he wrote Cujo blackout drunk. He doesn't even remember writing Cujo. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay. I look. I look forward to reading Cujo then. Uh, okay, actually, an, an, uh, another example. Um, I don't think we need to know Harlan Ellison to understand. Uh, I have no mouth and I must scream. I don't think that's necessary, but anyway, uh, H.P. Lovecraft, also known as Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Yes, it's Phillips with an S, not Philip. <laughs> I thought that. <laughs> I had to double books. check on that. He was born on August 20th in 1890 in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, basically has a family history of depression and psychosis. I mean, his uh, father died of a nervous breakdown in uh, 1898 when uh, he was only eight years old. And as a result, he grew up w- raised by his mother, his two aunts, and his grandfather. And actually, his grandfather was the one who really influenced him. Um, he was the one who entertained him with weird stories and gothic stories, but also pushed him into um, more uh, smarter interests. And as a result, he was a very precocious youth. Like um, He could recite poetry at age two. He could read by age three. He could write by age six and was grew up loving astronomy. Way so, to go, Howard. I know. <laughs> and similar to his dad, he, again, depression. So he was a very lonely child. After the death of his grandfather, this actually led to his family to go into poverty and uh, severe financial difficulties, and they moved out of their Victorian home into cramped quarters. He then, too, suffered a nervous breakdown, and he left school without a diploma. He did not graduate high school, and also he wasn't able to enter Brown University, which he applied for. They did not accept him, and that's been a shame. that was a shame to him for the rest of his life he had a very depressing life so (laughs) like he hold on surprising no one really (laughs) one of the things that he loved to do was read pulp magazines and actually um would interact with the publishers on it and actually got the attention of edward f das who was the president of united amateur press association and actually brought Lovecraft on to join the uh, UAPA. And then uh, he actually, and that's how he basically started getting his writing and actually went on to uh, become president and official editor of the UAPA. And then later at president of their rival company or rival association, National Amateur Press Association, or NAPA. His mother also died of a mental breakdown. <laughs> And in 1919, yeah, uh, in 1919, right afterward, Lovecraft attended a journalism convention where he met his wife, so- uh, Sonia Haft Green, and they married on March 3rd, 1924. And I mean, the beginning of their marriage, it was pretty good. Lovecraft was becoming to be- became more of a professional writer and uh, Sonia had a successful hat shop. 
But then, of course, he gets hit by troubles again. Uh, the hat shop went bankrupt, and Lovecraft turned down the chance in, to edit a companion magazine. And this basically um, ruined his life, and not much prospects came his way. So his wife's health gave way, and she was actually forced to go into a New Jersey sanitarium. Uh, all this trouble led to them to led them into a divorce in 1929, and he became increasingly depressed and moved back to Providence. Uh, during this time, uh, he had been living in Brooklyn. While back in Providence, he spent the last ten years of his life writing, but not just writing. This is when he was writing his best works. Like this is when he wrote Call of Cthulhu and The Mountains of Madness and all all the great works. He later died of intestinal cancer on March 15th, 1937. Um, one of the things to note is he was a devout atheist. And mm. not only that, he he had a great love of the Antarctic um, exploration. It was something that interested him as a kid and actually was excited uh, to eventually become friends with explorer Richard Byrd later in life. And then actually when Richard Byrd did die, it, his death deeply affected him. Mm. So, <laughs> a lot of depression, but and a lot of sadness. So that's Lovecraft in a nutshell. Again, surprising no one. What did you say was the uh, acronym for that one institute? The National uh... National Amateur Press Association or NAPA? God damn it, NAPA! <laughs> <laughs> I really oh, like Bravo! You would make that. Yeah, I would. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love you for it. So, um, and uh, actually, with that, um, let us delve into the summary of At the Mountains of Madness. Ooh, okay, that's me. <laughs> um, so, here's my quick summary, and you guys will have to tell me if maybe I went too in depth since this is our first read. Um, to be, uh, I, I just want to say right off the bat, uh, whatever you put down, say, there's no way it's going to be as in depth as, as the true. Lovecraft's writing itself. <laughs> so I think Very you're okay. Uh, yeah. I'll, yeah. Well, I'm going to get into that in the discussion. I, <laughs> I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So quick, no, not quick summary. Here's my summary. With the intent of preventing a scientific expedition bound for Antarctica, a geologist named William Dyer, forces himself to recount the events of a previous expedition to the icy continent that he and a group of scholars and students from Arkham's Miskatonic University conducted. Uh, all while hinting at a horrific and secret danger, Dyer tells of a Professor Lake who, accompanied by some men and a team of sled dogs, deviated from their course in search of more puzzling fossils that they'd found earlier in the expedition. Lake and his men discover an immense mountain range, as well as several remains of prehistoric life forms completely unknown to science, some of whom are whole and perfectly preserved, and some that are badly damaged. When the rest of the expedition expedition lose contact with Lake and his men during a violent snowstorm, Dyer leads a team to go investigate. They find that Lake, all his men, and the dogs have been killed, his camp destroyed, equipment missing, and stranger still, they find six star-shaped mounds of snow where each of the damaged specimens had been buried. They also find one of the dead men and dogs' dissected bodies. With one man missing, Gedney, uh, they suspect him of having gone mad and killing everyone. Then, continuing their exploration, Dyer and a man named Dan's 
Danforth fly a plane to survey the mountain range. Crossing past its ridges, they realize that it's actually the outer walls of an abandoned alien city. Landing their plane, they set out to investigate on foot, and through the detailed carvings of the city's murals, they learn that the life forms Lake had found were part of an alien civilization. Dubbing them Elder Things, Dyer and Danforth learn and document their history, their arrival on Earth, the growth and decline of their civilization, and the creation of Shogoths that they used to build and maintain their cities. They also learn, uh, learn of wars fought and won against other alien races like the Cthulhu Spawn and the Maigo, and of how the Shogoths developed independent thought, making them difficult to control. Most frightening of all, though, they learned of some unknown evil that dwells past the city and beyond an even larger mountain range. After discovering the missing equipment from Lake Space, as well as Gedney's corpse, it becomes clear that the intact Elder Things that had been found... Um, were actually alive and killed Lake and his men out of either defense or scientific curiosity. Against their better judgment, the men delve deeper and enter a tunnel where they find some penguins and the, <laughs> <laughs> and the mutilated corpses of uh, the Elder Things. And finally, a horrific Shogoth that chases after them, escaping, they return to their plane and take off, but as they ascend, Danforth takes one last look back, witnessing something, possibly the evil beyond that second range of mountains, and goes completely mad. And as Dyer finishes his account, he warns the next expedition to stay away. To Kelly Lee, to Kelly Lee. <laughs> Bravo! To Kelly Lee! To Kelly Lee! What Tekali actually means is, uh, well done. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> See, uh, now, I think that was a very succinct and uh, well-put-together summary of events. I wish Lovecraft was that succinct. <laughs> One of the things I'm not, yeah. I, can, we, can, I know, can we address that right away? I'm sorry. It's just yeah, been, that's I, been sitting in my brain since I finished the novel. But I mean, I, this is your show. I don't want to. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Uh, and then also, I, I think I feel the same way. I, the story is fantastic. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. But God yes. damn it, Lovecraft. Why do you have to droll on? You're so fucking repetitive. <laughs> Uh, the thing that mo- that stuck in my head is like it's appropriate that this uh, story is set in the Antarctic because the plot does move at a actual glacial pace. <laughs> uh, I mean, what do you what do you guys think? I can tell you that he literally like dropped the title six times in the story because I counted. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and he was just he was. Repre- repetitive in in the same way that um like just a lot of stoners are really repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> was uh Kayla from your research? Do you know if if uh, Lovecraft was fond of uh, opiates like many other is his contemporaries or? Um, that was never brought up in any of my research. Um, and you got to remember, like opiates were he his time period was more 1910s, 1920s, and right. 1930s when he actually wrote um at the mountains of madness so and i think opiates were more popular in the mid to late 1800s please tell me please tell me if i'm off my rocker here no no no. you're i just i was just wondering like if if there was ever any evidence that he was on any any kind of drugs because like um 
Like, well, I, I, it's not that I don't think that people are incapable of coming up with these things while sober, but I, I mean, obviously he had, he had conditions, mental conditions that uh, attributed well to this very bleak and harsh and alien setup. But I mean, you know, that you can draw on your imagination for stuff like that. That's, that's, that's fair, but it just leads you to, it, it leads you to wonder. It leads mm-hmm. you to wonder because he, my goodness, does that man repeat himself, or at least our, our narrator does in writing his account? So. so, well, here's the thing about his writing. I mean, the per the I mean, this is actually an interesting thing. The idea of the um, writing is it's supposed to read like a found uh, thesis or a found uh, article at a university, and it is and it is from the point of view of a prof- professor. So it's very it's supposed to be very. Um, descriptive and right but right i'm not i'm not and i'm not faulting it for that either um but i think it's actually that's a good point um but in the same breath um as someone who's been in college and is getting her master's right now professors frown upon using repetitive phrases and repetitive words and he does do that it's amazing how many times he'll say the same phrases Mm -hmm. i found one okay so i have a confession to make I had never read Lovecraft before until this. Um, um, I, I'm, I'm actually with you there. Um, other than a couple of short stories like The Terrible Old Man, I've, I hadn't read uh, any of Lovecraft's longer works. Um, I, I had only read The Call of Cthulhu before this. Um, I, Chelsea, I think you've read the most, if I'm correct. Yeah, I, I think I have. I actually have a um, Barnes & Noble complete Lovecraft fiction that I've read about 90% of. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get through the reanimator, though. That one was just terrible. But you, the nice thing is you don't have to get through it because you could just watch the movie with uh, Jeffrey Combs, and that one's great. <laughs> That's true. That's interesting. But I, uh, personally, I was like... in my opinion, this and um, what's it called? Nectar of the Gods, I think, are like his two best stories, in my opinion. Hmm. Let me make sure I'm getting that name right. Um, no, and when you mean stories or writing, because... Uh, I mean, is his writing like this in all of his stories? I mean, Call of Cthulhu. Oh, his writing's pretty similar across the board. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, Call of Cthulhu is the, kind of the same way, but because it was a shorter story, it, I didn't notice it as much with this because it actually is a novella. It, it mm-hmm. was much more noticeable. Mm-hmm. I think in some of our discussion before. So we started recording. David had mentioned that it was a slow read for him. And I felt the same way where it, I just finished this last night. (laughs) And uh, I kept finding myself like, wait, didn't I already read this part? (laughs) Like, what? And yeah, it, I do, I did really enjoy the story. And I love, you know, monsters. And I love like just the thought of people going crazy. So it was like, okay, there's, there's, there's stuff here that I really love. And I'm just having a really hard time focusing on it. Cause also, I knew the reason I've never read Lovecraft before is I was kind of scared too because I forget this myself, but English is my second language. And uh, I didn't really was comfortable reading until I was uh, somewhere in middle school. And so I was scared by that older English writing style. And so that was actually a struggle for me. Also being more, I think I'm the most casual reader of this group. I don't read that often. So Mm -hmm. uh, Uh. No, it, it, so, I mean that makes total sense. I I was actually um I, I mean I was that way too. I was a bit 
I enjoyed the stories like of like say Edgar Allan Poe and Shakespeare, but it wasn't until I want to say high school that or it wasn't until my um, later te- or mid teens that I actually started reading it and start art- understanding um, older literature. But H.P. Lovecraft was never one of those authors that was ever pushed on me, even like while getting my English degree, which I was very surprised by. Um, I mean, Edgar Allan Poe had popped up quite a bit, which mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people tend to match the two. Never Lovecraft, which I found interesting. Um, well, one one thing that stuck out to me was um, that you can tell uh, Lovecraft was a fan of Poe's work because he directly references Poe mm-hmm. in the story mm-hmm. several times. Yeah, and that that actually is true. Like uh, it is mentioned he um, in my research that he was actually a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe's work. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't surprise me. A lot of people were. I mean, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle was a huge fan of Poe's. Um, of Poe's detective stories and Holmes, Sherlock Holmes himself makes a references to uh, Dupont in um, some of his work. So uh, yeah, Poe Poe had that influence and he's and it worked forward with a couple of these authors, which is pretty cool. I mean, more than more than that, but those are just the ones that stick out to me. Yeah, one of the things I had to do while reading through this, I I actually was like, okay, I need a summary of this, and then once I got the summary, I'm like, this story sounds amazing. Wow. And then as I read it, there were some like visuals and ideas that I actually really enjoyed. Like, I'm not going to lie. One of my favorite scenes is when they go over and they're like, huh, I wonder why we haven't heard from Lake in a while. And they get there and it's just a massacre. And I love the description of that massacre. It's fantastic. And uh, it's the same with um, when they meet, get to see the, uh, I, I still find this humorous, six foot tall albino penguins (laughs) (laughs) again when it gets into the more horror descriptions i think it that's the more interesting parts it um i read uh i read somewhere like uh the first chapter you'll notice is basically a description of him saying oh this was what we were planning to do we're gonna drill we're gonna here's who was helping out blah, blah 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 and it's probably the most boring out of the story and this is just because, as I mentioned before, he was a huge fan of Antarctic exploration, and this is just him geeking out over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think for the character yeah. though, that's narrating, that kind of adds to their credibility, because like, okay, yeah, this is a professor. This is their boring talk about all the shit they do. <laughs> you know, just get to the good stuff, please. But yeah, that, that shows the character, I think. So. Mm-hmm. But even so, I, one of the things is, maybe you can confirm this, Chelsea, is it, does he ever develop his characters at all? Because I I did not connect with any of the characters. Mm. In I feel in. like at least from what I remember, because um, it's it's been probably about five or six years since I sat down and like really delved into Lovecraft. But I feel like usually his characters are just like, oh, I'm going crazy at this horror that I saw, and like they've been so driven out of their mind that they they've lost bits of their personality. Actually, I have a in, in that same vein. I have a another question that this is to everybody. But since Chelsea is the most well read in terms of Lovecraft here, I gotta know. Jeez, oh, I have the worst memory though. So. Oh, no, no, no. This is this is a general question because it's the, this dawned on me. Is it just coincidence that everybody who happens to stumble upon something Eldritch uh, comes from uh, Arkham slash Miskatonic? Because like, what are the odds that the people who happen to know about the Necronomicon? happened to also happen to find this alien city that aligns perfectly with some of the stuff in the Necronomicon. <laughs> right. 
I think it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I read the Necronomicon, thus the universe has to throw me into an Eldritch City. Clearly. (laughs) Like, you you bet, I I can imagine, like, Abdul Alhazred is, like, I mean, as much as he decried, like, not wanting to find these things or anything, could you? I could just picture him in some afterlife just being like, damn it, this other guy found it first. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about At the Mountains of Madness, just some background, um, this was Lovecraft's baby. Like, he genuinely loved this story. And uh, he wrote in 1931, but it didn't get published until 1936. And he tried, because he really wanted to get it published and he tried at different places and he finally got it published at the astounding stories and actually received um 315 for it which is the most he had ever received for a story oh wow mm-hmm. yeah actually, um like my book has little notes about each of the stories and like how they were published mm-hmm. and it actually took until uh he got a publisher or a an agent named julius schwartz to get astounding stories to take it oh really at least according to this Barnes and I, I think, I, yeah, I think I read that. Actually, sounds familiar. Uh, that that makes sense because he did. It did say he had trouble trying to get it published, and that yeah, critics actually had some a couple issues with it too. To be fair, it is very repetitive. It is. <laughs> it, it, it it truly is. He, I think he is like, better. Go ahead. Even compared to like other literature from the time, I feel like it's really repetitive. I. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I will stand by from what I've read before, and I might want to read others, but um, I will stand by. I think Lovecraft is a as an excellent storyteller and a superb world builder. The images he sets up are great. The ideas are superb, mm-hmm. but my goodness, is the writing dif- the writing itself difficult to to get through personally? Yeah, like I I've read the the Lord of the Rings, and I actually think that uh you know Tolkien to some degree, has the same problems of over-describing certain things, but at least he doesn't repeat himself. Right. I mean, I couldn't get through the Ant chapters. Those are hard, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, in a way, it reminded me of, like, uh, has anybody read, like, the unabridged version of The Princess Bride? I've actually... I have, actually. I have read Yeah, do you remember, like, all of the tree descriptions? Mm Mm-hmm. And, which is funny, uh, because in The Princess Bride, um, the book, the novel, they said, the author claims that he takes out a chapter that just describes the history of the country because it was so yeah. bland and boring yeah actually uh, another th- another thing i want to throw to the, the collective just because it's fun is what is your what what uh repetition stood out to you the most like is there anything that just stuck in your brain is like oh he said this like five or six times already oh my god um uh eon long death yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many times he said that, but then I gave up. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> that's not the guy who did the. No, no, no. Um, oh. No, I, that, okay, that's different from mine then. Yeah. <laughs> What's yours? The Asian paintings. Oh my God, yes. Oh, yeah. The Asian paintings were just everywhere. <laughs> I thought again of the those Asian paintings by, and I'm just like, oh my God. Howard. <laughs> Man. Howard. Man, he's get obsessed it. with those paintings. Get it. This really wants to buy one. He, he really wants to buy one. Uh, anyone else? I think for me, it was just every time he threw in Mountains of Madness, because I think because of UCA, every time I hear the title in the story, I just hear the oh shit in my head. <laughs> like, I, like <laughs> I'm brainwashed now. Every time I see titles and stories, that's what I hear in my head. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've planted it and it's, it's mm-hmm, taken. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, 
the other thing that stuck out to me was just how often he does re- reference those things written in the Necronomicon and repeats exactly this in exactly the same phrasing. Those things, those elder things that created life as a mistake or a or a joke or whatever. Or a science experiment. Yeah, which again aligns with his character um, because yeah, I could see it happening. Um, did anyone else? At any point during this, wonder what a uh, what the Comanchean age was, and immediately just thought of like the Comanche tribe of Native Americans. <laughs> no, like uh, in like in my imagination, like when I tried to think about it, I just imagined like Cameron Diaz's face on dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that. I just I was just curious what everyone's favorite repetitions were. Mine, like I said, my, I'll stick by the Asian paintings. I find it funny. He keeps using the word over uh, unimaginable. It was unimaginable. And I'm like, the unimaginable horrors. I'm like, for someone who keeps using the word unimaginable, you're a very descriptive man. <laughs> Lovecraft. Oh, Cyclopean. That's a great one, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And, but I think the one thing that always got to me was in certain sections, he'll write a phrase and then a few paragraphs later, He'll say that same phrase, but like slightly rewritten. And I'm like, did I, did I read this? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was feeling. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was just watching that 70s show with uh, my mom and sister by accident. And it was just like uh, that one stoner guy from, from that show. Oh, uh, Hyde? <laughs> just like the way he repeat, not Hyde. Um, I forget what his name was. He had like the long dark Oh, uh, he's played by Tommy Chong, right? I have no idea. Okay, but yeah, but this is the way he kept phrasing things slightly different. Just kind of reminded me of, of like him, and like I started reading it in that voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I I, I yeah, just... those Asian paintings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Asian paintings, man. I'm now just imagining uh, Dyer and Danforth um, up in the Antarctic, uh, just smoking a joint. <laughs> <laughs> as they're walking through this underground city and that's why they're like whoa those penguins whoa, are man, six penguins why <laughs> <laughs> man do you think they want to hit dude the, the, the penguins were like my favorite thing <laughs> oh yeah i i feel okay because um there's some great horror descriptions like I, again there's like like they find um uh they were trying to search for um oh God, what was the name of the guy that was kidnapped? And then they Gedney. find his body. Gedney, thank you. They find Gedney's dead body in there, and it's like, oh my god. And it's described in a frightening way. And then all of a sudden, six-foot-tall penguins just like, <laughs> wow, I don't know what that. Six-foot-tall albino blind penguins. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, how do we know we're going to this like underground subterranean sea? Follow the penguins. <laughs> Follow the trail of penguin shit. <laughs> I, I'm just It'll lead us to the gold. But the funny part is these like when you, it's penguins for Christ's sake. Like these like waddling flightless birds. And they're blind and basically like six feet tall. And they're bumping like, into shit. And like you just can't like help but think of that one penguin that fell in love with like the little anime waifu. Oh <laughs> <laughs> the pet the Pebble and the Blind Penguin would be a very interesting movie, you guys. Oh, yeah. gosh. So, um, uh, I, I have some uh, questions or topics. Uh, Abismi sent me this one. Um, he wanted us to discuss, discuss, 
discuss Lovecraft's view on science. So um, how does science play a role in this story other than the fact that it is basically read in a very scientific manner? And is apparently written by a scientist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, the thing is, Dyer, the main character, again, repeatedly over uh, repeatedly says, "I do. I tell you this story because I'm warning you. Please don't do this." And uh, which I find interesting because, in one sense, it's kind of like Frankenstein that warns against uh, the idea of like technology and searching for things. But then again. He, Lovecraft, really did love the idea of exploration and uh, searching for things. So, and again, he was an atheist. He really believed in the power of science. So it is kind of a tricky thing because either the repetitiveness of saying, I, I say this to warn you, please do not go searching. Or maybe, or maybe it is basically a celebration of science. Uh, what do you guys think? So I don't know how much I can say on Lovecraft and his view of science since this is the only Lovecraft I've read, but I think at least in this story, science is kind of like our setup. And I think kind of, uh, so they're out there because they want to know things they want to explore. Science, I think in this is just the essence of what man is. We want to know the unknown. And even when we're presented with these horrible things, we still want to know. And so we still continue further because there was the line of, I think, like, after they found Gedney's body, and he's like, oh, I know it was crazy uh, for us to keep searching, but kind of like how people go to hunt lions or take pictures of shit. We want to see more. We want to know more. So we're going to keep going. And then when I was reading, every time he repeated, you know, I don't want to tell you more, but I have to because I have to warn you. I was like, well, this warning is just going to convince and propel more people to go and search because anyone who hears the story is like, well, that sounds intense and I don't understand and I want to know what it is. And so his, yeah, I want to go, I want to go to the Antarctic and debunk this guy. Cause there's no <laughs> way any of this crazy nonsense can actually be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. So I think that's just, for me, that was also where like where the horror is, is like, it, it doesn't, you're always, we're always going to go out there and search more and, I don't know. That's uh, that's our downfall, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, Chelsea? Mm, I don't know. Usually, when I like I, I read his stories, I um I I, I just uh, take any science thing he says is like true for the universe he's writing. But like I just like one thing that kind of stuck out to me was like I, I think it was the what is it the Shogoths? It was either the Shogoths or the uh, the old ones that he wrote as being three fourths animal structure and one fourth plant. Mm-hmm. Which I that just like made me giggle a little bit. <laughs> it, it, that actually is entertaining. Um, at, actually, it, the story of the uh, elder things in itself could be a warning against exploration, or uh, oh, they are actually portray the idea of exploration in itself because they they actually I mean their story is basically about them creating a, a new society, finding ways to adjust. Like I mean, they at one point they live under the sea and then. They're like, okay, how are we going to do this? So they create Shogoths. And, but this creation eventually leads to their downfall. So, I mean, that could be a warning against science. Isn't like he mentioned at some point that he, uh, oh man, where is it in my notes? Sorry, like I took notes. Um, Smart. Yeah. 
you actually prepared for this like a proper book club. Yeah, I feel that like it seemed like humanity as well as the slaves of the old ones. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was interesting. Say, oh, say, say that one more time. Um, uh, humanity evolved out of the slaves of the old ones. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that is that actually is pretty profound. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I, like. I didn't notice that one. Yeah. I think it was uh, kind of like hinted that like in creating the Shogoths leftover remnants of that is what created for the rest of life on earth is what i got from it i think what chelsea's getting at yeah out of their dead skin cells yeah Yeah, i kind of got the same impression which is kind of a creepy well which reinforces the idea that uh life on earth was kind of almost an afterthought or at least the life as it stands now Mm -hmm. which um as someone I mean, if you think really highly of humanity, that that aspect could have its own horror to it. Or you could just be like, well, that's just how life goes. You know, we could be the the cast, the 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 cast offs of a slave race to a bunch of spacefaring elder things. And yeah, I, I think that's just someone who like grew up believing like, oh, man, God made us like in his image that like coming across that in a story probably would be kind of terrifying. Right. The whole idea that everything you've been told about your place in the universe is wrong. Yeah, and that you have no actual significance at all. Right. It's it, 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 there. There is a there is a certain chilling chillingness to that, depending on where you come from. And I think one thing that that um, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of like, and you know, coming from what I do in the podcast is like backing up your horror with a lot of. Um, details of the reality of the situation and lovecraft may never have been a proper explorer or a proper uh college uh professor or even a graduate but you wouldn't believe it uh just based on what he's writing because he is getting into the nitty-gritty about latitude longitude Mm -hmm. uh different ages the where what what eras you can find these different things uh whether he's bullshitting or not it lets you believe that. And I just love the idea that he's just this huge science nerd, at least when it comes to Arctic exploration. I love how lovingly he taught or Antarctic exploration. I'm sorry. It's the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our, the Arctic Antarctic. circle is uh, Antarctic is below us. The Arctic circle is above us. Right. No, I meant to say Antarctic, but I just went Arctic, but it's Antarctic. They're both too cold. Yes. They're both <laughs> too cold. And I never want to visit them. He sure loves that drill. oh man he lovingly described those drill bits oh my god he he like wanted to create a drill like that i think just based off this story yeah but i mean that drill was what was why they were going on the expedition in the first place it's a good uh reason for them to be there and uh so it would be described it should be described lovingly especially from the perspective of this is a college professor from what I assume is a fairly prestigious university, if they're actually able to get the funds to have an Antarctic expedition like this. And um, and also bring a bunch of students, too, which is amazing. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. a ton of students. And again, they happen to come from the one university that possesses a, a, a book full of horrible, terrible secrets about the universe. Um, <laughs> I bet, like, if they had sent people not from that university that had never read the Nominac... <laughs> I, I bet those mountains would have never existed. Yeah, they wouldn't have seen the mountains. They would yeah. have just been like, what's that? Ah, it's just some clouds or something. They happen to look like Asian paintings, but they're just clouds. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, no, actually, that brings up another thing. Um, not only is this a horror story, it's also a science fiction story. 
But what does it lean towards more? Does it lean towards more horror or science fiction? Or is it a good mixture? I mean, what is you, you mentioned like the horror of the story could be the idea of realizing that how expansive the world is and we're not as important as we think we are. But then there's the typical horror as like basically seeing the gore and then pe- and, and such death and massacres, all that. So what do you guys think? I think the the death, you know, the scene, the dead bodies, and that is all the gore and such. That's all instinctive horror. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole learning that oh, we are meaningless in our place in the universe. That's that's the whole other fucking level. And when I was actually reading it, especially when they was getting down to like the whole like creating the Shogoths, I actually started thinking of Prometheus. Um, maybe. <laughs> Because it had a lot of the same elements of like these beings that are from a whole other world, super intelligent and advanced, coming down to Earth and creating life. Right? It had a lot of those elements. So for me, this this leaned more into sci-fi for me. More sci-fi than uh, than horror. Horror. Yeah. yeah, I would say the same thing personally because the horror is very much to me a slow burn because it it built and built and built and built and I think maybe took too long to build in my opinion, but. By the time you get to the very end of the story and you have that climactic moment where they actually behold uh, a Shoggoth, like shooting down this tunnel toward them, like a, like a, he describes it like a subway train. Mm-hmm. Like that I thought was actually a really, a really, uh, was probably the most horrific part of the story, in my opinion, just from the visceral, just at, from a visceral, oh shit, a huge uh, amorphous entity is now with glowing eyes is like shooting down this tunnel toward us. And I'm like, cool. And then they just run, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's over. <laughs> so, um, um, although- but the Shogath part was very cool. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, I like that part. I think that's the most horror. Hor- that's the part that screams most horror to me. But I agree with Sade. I think it's more sci-fi than horror, personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say, I, I'm glad that they ended with, um, although he says this way too many times, of uh, that they're on the airplane and Danforth sees something that makes him go mad but you don't know what that is Mm -hmm. and that in itself is kind of a horror like oh my goodness what did he see what's in the antarctic and that's what really has dire worry more than anything Mm -hmm. and that in itself is a frightening thing but i i I think i do agree this is much more sci-fi than horror because lovecraft spends a lot of time building this mythos building um this idea of like the shogoths the elder things etc etc more so than focusing on the uh the scary parts and i'm not i'm not gonna lie though it does still work in the horror genre because it it actually has had influence in the horror genre i mean the movie the thing Mm -hmm. was took a lot of inspiration from this and you can tell Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so. actually glad you mentioned the thing because I was I was watching a thing about just like where are all the Lovecraft movies, and you don't see a lot of like successful Lovecraft. And it was interesting that Chelsea mentioned not being able to get through the Reanimator because that's kind of like one of the only successful Lovecraft inspired movies. Lovecraft, I think, hated that story, didn't he? Have Re-animate- no idea. <laughs> I, that wasn't brought up in my research, but I if I would believe you if you. You said he hated that story. I feel like that was like one of the stories he wasn't proud of, but like I could be wrong. (laughs) 
I did find out that about six years ago, Guillermo del Toro wanted to do um, a, a, at the Mountains of Madness, like make it. A oh, film. he's he, he still owns the rights to do that. He just can't get a studio to back him. Dang. Man, I would love to see Guillermo's take on this story. Me too. Mm-hmm. I mean, this does have great potential. As I've mentioned before, it's a great story. It's just the writing's slow. And and maybe that's just us. I mean, that's 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 our opinion. I uh, I'm sure you know loads of people out there love this story, and mm-hmm. I I wouldn't. And I actually really like this story. All things, uh, despite what I say about the writing, I, I love the story. That's just my only. That's just my only thing. That's why I'm not a huge fan of Lovecraft's writing style personally. But the mythos he created, it's very good. Yeah, I think we can all say the same there. That we at mm-hmm. least loved. That we liked the story. Yeah. Oh no, I I definitely like the story. It it, it builds very well. Um, it it hits all the right beats. It does create an interesting world, and I would love to see it as a movie. I mean, Lovecraft does put a lot of detail and painstakingly, like insane amount of detail that you can you can paint a picture just by his words. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it basically can serve as a roadmap to how to present this in a movie if you wanted to. But that that's an, another interesting thing. It doesn't leave much to the imagination, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. I think it works in this case because he is creating a world and he is creating a mythos. So that way we can understand, okay, this is what's going on. It's kind of like with Harry Potter. There is a lot of details to this world, but you have to because you're creating a fantasy sci-fi world, or a fantasy world, or in this case, a sci-fi world. I will say it's kind of surprising that um, Dyer and Danforth were able to get as much information as they did just studying the walls of that place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not- that was that was kind of hard for me to read. I was like, this is a lot of information from just some carvings. I, I took that as like they were very detailed murals and that mm. there were a shit ton of them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which means that the 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 old like, ones the old ones were just like the, the super old ones crazy. Like run down a hallway and like stare at the wall and pretend it was animation. <laughs> what if what if the old ones perceived it like animation? Because <laughs> they can. Because as far as we understand, those old ones can move pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they made movies. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones who started the movies. <laughs> Oh, and can I say real quick, going back to the science question, can I I love kind of love the fact that Dyer's like, oh, well, you know, considering what happened, I can't necessarily blame the old ones for like massacring all of these students and my friend Lake, because like they were probably scientists, too. And they freaked the fuck out when they saw beings that they didn't understand. Which I, I, I think which... at some point it mentioned that like um, they like didn't it mention that like one of the bodies that was missing like seemed to have like tissue cuts and samples cut out of it or something yep and i i think that also presses into the idea of um the dangers of being too scientific and or not that's not the right word it's um uh questioning whether or not you should i think yeah exactly the whole uh you thought too much quote uh jurassic park but yeah, basically the Fra- what is it called the Frankenstein uh, dilemma that again Jurassic Park uh, like you said, it, I think it's the same case with this story too. I think for yeah. me, I took it more as like kind of 
of that horror element of just learning that, okay, we're not as significant as we thought we were. We're like, oh, we found these specimens, and then suddenly it gets flipped around, like, oh, we're the ones being put under, you know, the, the microscope, and so mm. we can be toyed with and experimented and, and studied. And It turns out yeah. we're not as as we thought we were. Yeah. And that's that's what I we think. get. <laughs> that And that's scary in itself, come to think about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think but okay. it's just it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to mention, like I, I've mentioned on on my podcast before, like I'm terrified of alien grays, and I think that's the element that makes them scary to me. It's like, oh, they'll just pick me up and, and, and dissect me like a frog. So you know, um, I feel like I'd be less scared of the old ones though, because the way they're described, uh, they 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 in my mind, the way I picture them, they were really goofy looking. Oh, all you have to do is hit them with a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Our, uh, I think we're getting to that point. Um, should any last minute thoughts? There were a couple, but uh, maybe they'll they'll come to me. Was was that, was that it when it comes to the topics we were going to discuss? Uh, well, another one I was going to discuss was um, the role of madness in it, but that actually got brought up uh, a bit. Yeah, the role of madness is really just Danforth going, "Oh, what's that over my shoulder?" Ah, exactly. That is madness. <laughs> because despite. <laughs> Despite uh, what um, our narrator is saying, he's handling all of this surprisingly well. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. He, he came out of it with sound enough mind to describe everything in like microbial detail. So, <laughs> Which props to him. Dang. So the, there were certainly crazy looking mountains, but they only really evoked madness in Danforth. So Those mountains of madness. <laughs> Except for me. Except for me. I, I, Except I, for me. Like, I had on sunglasses. I didn't look directly at it like a basilisk. He's he's wearing the the 3D shit glasses like um like Dr. Jacoby in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, Did anybody else like notice how the number five popped up everywhere? Like the oh my ones? yeah, because they kept on saying it's star shaped, star shaped, mm-hmm. star shaped five 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 dots, five dots on everything. Because well, I mean. The 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 old ones are star-headed aliens. That's true. They would put out this element of their being that seems really significant to them, you know? I, I think that makes sense. I actually, uh, um, because it was described so well, I was like, Who, did anyone draw these things? And of course, yeah, they did. But the funny part is there's so many interpretations. Like, n- not all the drawings look alike, so... I, I still find it interesting, despite the fact he describes them in such detail, even with saying it's this long, it's this wide. Mm-hmm. I was actually going to say the way he he provides so much detail, but then also just kind of like like when I was reading it, I kind of like it all just kind of muddled in my head, and so I ended up imagining these like crazy things that I wasn't even sure he was exactly describing, and so I can see how people could have different depictions of what they read. I couldn't help but picture like Jim Henson looking puppets. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool to see. Oh my god! It, I wish there was an '80s at the Mountains of Madness movie. Oh, like all of the Dark Crystal. Yes, Ooh. yes. Mm. I would you, watch the shit out of that could, movie. <laughs> could you imagine? Okay, so you, you got the, the the old ones. You get them them that style, and then you get. You can see that Shoggoth barreling down a corridor and it's some giant puppet thing. And then to make it even better, you've got 
pe- like six foot people wearing <laughs> penguins. <laughs> I, and like I you can do. really see the strings on everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! I'll just say my close. Uh, in any closing thoughts here, like about this topic, is like it's really all just so we can see those big penguins. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they Which are the real stars. You must have had a thing to think penguins were horrific because I remember earlier in the novel they just he described seeing ghastly penguins, grotesque <laughs> penguins. I remember grotesque. Reading grotesque penguins and be like, does he have a thing against penguins? Uh, Howard Phillips Lovecraft was deathly fucking afraid of penguins. <laughs> Maybe that's why he never went to Antarctica himself. <laughs> <laughs> They're birds, but they swim. What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, Howard Ducks can do that. I don't care. Ducks can fly. Penguins can't. Abominations. <laughs> Those back ass words of birds. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts? I thought that the, um, what was it? The soapstone weird star things as currency was interesting. Yeah, it was. I think it did. Again, adds the whole world building idea. He and I do appreciate him for doing that. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm all for a soapstone economy. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, thank you guys. Uh, shall we uh, introduce what our next story will be for uh, July 13th? Yes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Who wants to be the one to say it or wants to find I forget what it is. I'll do it. Uh, I'll say it. Uh, it will be The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. Time to play. Yes, this is the story that was adapted into the famous movie Hellraiser. So this will be a good one. <laughs> is this you're, you're going to br- use the same topics? Is this more science fiction or it's horror? Like, oh. there's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> this is definitely horror. There is no. All right. Thank you guys so much. Um, and good night, everybody. Join us in the dark next time for spooky shenanigans at this strange book club. Please don't mind the stuffed al- Antarctic bi- albino blind penguin in the corner. To Kelly Lee. To Kelly Lee. <laughs> to Kelly Lee. <laughs> <laughs>